grandpa was a pastor. I don't know how many of you know that, but I can tell you that he was not a factor in my decision to do what I do now. He was, how do I say it, a very serious person, and religion was a very serious matter. For him, there was one correct worship style and belief system. Everything else was just nonsense. He was a pastor of his generation, but it was hard for me to be around that way of thinking. <laughs> Interestingly, what got me started on the path of what I do now began as a requirement in college to take a class in the humanities. I chose to take a class in religion, specifically the New Testament, because I thought it would be easy. I mean, we attended church as, as a family my entire life growing up. Wouldn't the answer to every question on a New Testament exam be Jesus? <laughs> or God? I mean, that's what the answers are in church, right? <sighs> the class was not easy. In fact, a lot of what I thought I knew, the things that I picked up in my church growing up, were challenged by new information and a bigger, more complex picture. Some of the people in, in that class, they reminded me of my grandpa, very serious when it came to religion and knowing with absolute certainty that what they were taught as an adolescent was the only way, the right way, the theologically pure way of being Christian. They did not do very well in that class. I, on the other hand, I loved it. It was a breath of fresh air, it was life-giving, and it set me on a new course in life. In getting to know those who did not do well, who insisted that the particularities of their faith were the only acceptable answers, I was actually a little surprised to find that I liked a lot of them. They were good people, smart people, open to many things except the new ideas that ran counter to the religious beliefs that were instilled when they were young. There was a lot at stake for them. Their salvation hung in the balance and, and they were not going to be led astray by some hippie teacher. <laughs> at first, I found this odd. Because who does not expect to change and grow? Is it healthy or even possible to have the same view of yourself and the world at 50 as when you were 16 or 20 or 30? I mean, is there any area of your life that, would not, that you would not want to keep growing in? But eventually I began to understand that no one abandons their ideas easily. And I do mean no one. Confirmation bias is a real thing, and we all do this from time to time. We all tend to search out, interpret, favor, and recall information that supports our prior beliefs or values. We do. I mean, I have used some pretty questionable sources to justify my diet Mountain Dew addiction. It's not that bad for you. No, 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 no. This resource I found on the internet says that the rats died because they were given four times the amount of that chemical found in Mountain Dew. It doesn't affect me like that. <laughs> 
social media has made this a thousand times worse. It's an echo chamber in which the algorithm does a fantastic job giving us content that would be in line with or confirm what we already think. So at this point, I feel obligated to give you a warning because that's what we do when something's dangerous, right? We, we warn people when, it, when things can hurt you or alter your state of being, we get a warning. So here it goes, fair warning. If you value your current set of beliefs and are highly motivated to keep your practices and routines the same, then the Easter story, the story of our faith in general, is incredibly dangerous. Our focus text for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. I invite you to follow along on your screen. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go out with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The reading from Acts is a post-Easter story. Jesus is gone, but his mission of proclaiming and enacting the kingdom of God is not. Jesus' disciples are entrusted to keep things going, saying what Jesus said, doing what Jesus did, having learned from their teacher and empowered by the Spirit of God. But in this process, something happens. Something happens that no one expected. A giant problem emerges. Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, 
They're moved by Jesus' ministry and vision. They receive the Spirit of God, and they want to be a part of the community. I know, right? A massive problem! <laughs> well, I, I can't see your reaction, but I assume that you have a blank stare right about now. That you're not as concerned as you should be about this problem. So let me fill you in. Let, let me frame this for you. Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish rabbi who taught in the synagogues, who had Jewish disciples and observed Jewish customs. This did not change after Jesus' resurrection. As good Jews, his disciples know that God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham, their ancestor, their patriarch. God has favored the Jewish people. God has blessed them and chosen their nation. God is on their side and they are to honor this covenant and to be loyal and true to God by separating themselves from others by abstaining from certain kinds of food, by following purity customs, by physically marking themselves through circumcision. The worst thing, the worst thing that you could do is contaminate yourself and your community by impure influences and impure people, otherwise known as Gentiles. <laughs> Does that resonate? Well, let me see if it doesn't, if I can draw a parallel to something maybe more familiar that we see today. Let me try this. Perhaps if you have a child or a grandchild, you can put him or her on the right path by enrolling in a good Christian daycare and then Christian preschool. Stimulate her mind by buying plenty of books from the Christian bookstore. Then be sure to keep things positive by listening to Christian music in the car, watching Christian movies or those approved by Christian reviewers. Give her a jeweled cross to wear, identifying her as Christian. And then to top it all off, eat at Chick-fil-A <laughs> or another self-professed Christian restaurant chain. Because, according to some Christians today, the worst thing that you could do is expose your child to godless heathens in our world who don't know the truth of God and are hell-bound. You know, like hippie religion professors at liberal arts colleges. <laughs> so, when Peter's praying and has a vision of unclean animals or Gentile food, and is told to eat up, he says, no, like, no, I won't, I can't. The law of our tradition that keeps me connected to God and my community by isolating me from others forbids it. But Peter says a voice, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And the result of this is that Peter changes his mind. He comes away with something he did not have before. And in the end, he confesses, if then God gave them, that is the Gentiles, the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? <laughs> so, I really too have to warn you, the stories and the traditions that we immerse ourselves in in worship, the story of our faith, th this is dangerous stuff. Love will be the standard by which the kingdom of God will be known. And it will 
be the standard by which it's experienced. And any who follow in the way of the risen Christ, they have to come to terms with this. Love for the first century Jew means this. Do not call profane what God has called clean, and it leads one to embrace Gentiles. Love for the 21st century Christian means this. Do not call profane what God has called clean, and it leads to embracing all those who find themselves not just inside, but outside of Christian bookstores. And you can keep expanding this phrase, do not call profane what God has called clean. Uh, to, to love then means to listen to your neighbor who is not like you. To love means to see uh, and embrace those who you don't like or even respect. To love means not just to welcome the Ukrainian refugee fleeing war, but also welcome the Latin American mother fleeing cartel violence. It means opening yourself up to new people and, and in the process, new ideas and new ways of seeing the world and yourself and others and, and how you function in this world. It means calling into question so many things. Love, by the very definition of love, is not fair. But if you do this, <laughs> you can't be the same. You can't expect others to stay the same. You can't expect the world to stay the same. And for human beings who really enjoy living in their echo chambers, searching out confirmation bias and and surviving by isolating themselves into closed communities, the Easter story that, that moves Jesus' followers out from themselves to see people and the world as those that God has called clean, that God loves, that's dangerous stuff. It's gonna challenge you. Thanks be to God for that because that is exactly what we need. And this is the good news that we hear today. Amen. After hearing today's reading and the reflection on that reading, here are a couple of reflection questions for you to go deeper into the story of your faith. Question number one, which beliefs, practices, and routines have changed the most over the years of your life? Which ones do you insist holding on to? Number two, do you find the story of our faith challenging to your way of life? In what ways? Or why not? <laughs>